Good morning, River City. Welcome to the year 2020. I'm glad you're with us today. As a quick note, as we begin, you'll notice that this pulpit is different and new. Uh, Tim Friesen and his family, uh, they actually attend the 9 o'clock often. Tim has a really sweet wood shop in his backyard uh, over in Moorhead. And uh, actually took some of the reclaimed barn wood that we had down in the basement uh, that's been used for projects like here on the back wall and at the back where we have the coffee. And took some of this wood and brought it to his shop and uh, planed it and made it look awesome. Um, And uh, and he's friends with another... uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Craftsman in town that works with um, uh, works with steel and who welded the frame together and Tim put the wood on and created this as a gift to River City. Um, and I think it's a great addition to our space. I don't know if you know Tim. Um, if you want to follow him on Instagram, he's got a sweet Instagram channel where he puts all his cool woodworking stuff or uh, TLF Woodworks. So there's the, the shameless plug for Tim's Instagram um, who built this beautiful uh, pulpit for us. But let's put it to good use, shall we? You can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And Richard um, will be coming around and would love to put a Bible in your hands. Um, Luke chapter 1, if you want to follow along, it'll be at, some parts will be on the screen as well. We're officially opening a new series in the Gospel of Luke this morning. And the plan, Lord willing, is to spend the first part of each new year for the next number of years digging into the next section of Luke's Gospel. I'm preaching this week and then... Um, Over the next few weeks, we'll hear from some different voices. Mitch Friedman um, will be uh, teaching next week, and then Charlie, one of our elders, the week after that, and then Pastor Devin at the end of January. Then I'll tackle most of February, and we'll kind of work our way through the text. Um, If if we keep the pace that we've currently marked out, um, starting each spring, and by the way, I consider this the beginning of spring. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. Um, it's It's a spring semester, right? It's close enough. Um, but we'll kind of start every new year in Luke's gospel. And if it, if we hit the schedule, the way we've kind of mapped it out, it'll only take us about five years to get through Luke. Um, and we'll, we'll do something different in the summer and then something different in the fall. And we'll kind of come back to Luke's gospel in the, in January, in the start of every new year. Again, as long as the Lord tarries till his return. Um, a couple of reasons, um, why, um, will, why we're launching into the gospel of Luke or why study Luke, a couple of them. First, the last time we did an in-depth study of one of the Gospels, we finished the Gospel of Mark in uh, 2016. And while the whole Bible is inspired and the perfect Word of God, there's something deep and significant and important about meditating on the life and ministry and teaching of Jesus. Two, as we look more closely at the words of Jesus, at His ministry, at, at His mission, we are reminded of the, the foundations of our faith our purpose. We're following Jesus. He's our Savior and our teacher and our Lord. So as we step fresh into 2020, we want to be uh, shaped and formed to a greater degree into the image and likeness of Jesus. And how better than to follow around our master in the gospel of Luke. So that as we look at Jesus, our, our hunger and our desire for holiness would increase. Our hunger and our desire for true authenticity, not fake authenticity, but true authenticity and honesty would increase. That our priorities, what's important to us, would be reset. And that our purpose would be refined. That we would be driven to prayer. That the the Spirit would do deep and lasting work in our hearts in the slow work of sanctification that's happening in as we are being created 
in greater and greater degree to the image and likeness of Jesus. And I think Luke's a great, a great place to start. Because in Luke's gospel, chapter 19, Jesus reveals his mission when he's talking to a man named Zacchaeus. Maybe you remember this story from Sunday school, right? Zacchaeus was a short man who wanted to see what all the commotion about Jesus was about. So he climbs up into a tree so he can see over the crowd to be able to hear and see what's going on. And Jesus confronts him on the road and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And what we learn in Luke 19 is that Jesus tells Zacchaeus, the reason I'm here, my purpose for coming, is to seek and save the lost. Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And that's important for two reasons. We're reminded first that Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He didn't come for all those who, who have it all together, who have it all figured out. But Jesus looks on the lost and the lonely. He looks on the harassed and the helpless with compassion and offers salvation. And that's us. We're the lost who need to be found. We're the, the spiritually blind in need of sight. We're the broken in need of healing. We're the ones in need of salvation. And we can't forget that, and the Gospel of Luke doesn't let us forget that. And second, as we look at Jesus' mission, and for all of us, all of those who have been rescued, who have been saved, whose, whose eyes have been, uh, the blindness has been removed, our calling is to then join Jesus in his mission. His mission to seek out the harassed and helpless is now our mission. His compassion for the broken and the poor in spirit is now our compassion for the broken and the poor in spirit. And now, saved and set apart by Jesus, we step out as messengers of this same message. So for us, as a church, 2020 has a, has a chance for a step forward and, and a pretty pivotal step. 2019 for us was very much a year of, of kind of getting our bearings Looking again at the map, locating where we were on that map, and then reestablishing where we're going. So 2020 has potential for us to take some significant steps forward in our mission of making and multiplying disciples. That's what we want to be about and continue to be about. And it starts here with reorienting all of our perspective, reorienting ourselves around the ministry and mission of Jesus. If we as a church are going to see growth in our spiritual maturity, if we're going to see a deepening of our faith, it will be as each of us individually grows in our understanding of the saving power of Jesus in our own lives. And as we see collectively and embrace together the ministry of gospel proclamation in all the places that God has placed us, wherever we live or work or study, the people who live around us, where we uh, eat our favorite food, God has placed us there in those places for his purposes. In this case, to join him on his mission, to seek out the lost and the lonely, the hurting and the helpless in need of him. So I'm really excited as... uh, we jump into Luke and kind of mine Luke slowly to, to find what's there. <clears throat> Today we're going to look at two sections of Luke. We're going to look briefly at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, to get a framework for Luke as a whole. And then two, we're going to pick up where we left off after Christmas um, in uh, Luke chapter 2, and how two people, Simeon and Anna, see Jesus. They meet Jesus and everything changes for them because they're ready to meet him. And I think that has something to tell us about our expectations for 
the, the gospel of Luke as a whole, but just our expectations of Jesus in general. So first things first, let's look at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It'll be on the screen, but I invite you to read along as well in your Bibles. This is uh, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. This is God's word for us today. We'll stop there. Now, what do we know? Here's what we do know about the gospel according to Luke. It is attributed to a man named Luke. That seems pretty self-explanatory. The top heading of your Bible and mine says Luke. Great. So who is this guy? Um, Because Luke's not mentioned in the gospel at all. In fact, we don't know a ton about him. But, But tradition and history, all the way back to the second century, affirms that Luke is the author of this account. And in fact, Luke is the author of the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. It's really a two-volume set that, that Luke is writing the account of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And then he follows it up saying, and so here's what happened after Jesus ascended and the apostles took the message of Jesus to the world. And so we have this catalog, if you will, of, of, of Luke's work. We, we know that Luke is a ministry partner of the Apostle Paul. Paul references him in Colossians and in 2 Timothy. And we learn that Luke is a physician. He's a doctor. And Paul has great respect and love for Luke as a ministry partner because Luke sticks with Paul all the way to the very end. Luke is faithful. And Paul recognizes him as such. So, let's look at these uh, first few verses in Luke to see what we can find. Verse 1 tells us that others have undertaken to compile an account. Luke is acknowledging from the beginning, I'm not the first one to take a stab at this, to write down what Jesus has said and done. Luke isn't just compiling an oral tradition. He's not just collecting the stories that people are sharing and then writing them down. He's also drawing upon other works that others have written down. Very likely, scholars say very likely, that he had access to Mark's writings in Mark's gospel on the life and ministry of Jesus. So that's the first thing. He's not the first one to undertake and compile a narrative of these things. He's he's also taking in, researching from others who've walked with Jesus, walked with the apostles, and has written this down. Verse 2 tells us, that he also has eyewitness accounts of those who were with Jesus from the beginning. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So he has the written account of Jesus that others have compiled, and he has access to first-person testimony who walked with Jesus. So Luke wasn't one of the original 12. He didn't walk around with Jesus in his life and ministry that we know of. At least he's not listed among those who were close to Jesus. And yet he has access first-person access to those who lived life with Jesus well on earth. Verses 3 and 4. And Luke says that it seemed like a good idea to him 
as a scholar and as a student of the life and ministry of Jesus to write an account, apparently to persuade a man named Theophilus so that he might have certainty concerning the things about Jesus that he had heard and been taught. Luke is saying, you, Theophilus, have heard many things about this Jesus. I'm here to tell you that they're true. Now, we really don't know a whole lot about Theophilus other than that he was most excellent. That's all we have. Now, the other times in the New Testament we see that title for someone who holds, uh, who's someone who's most excellent, it's used a few other times, and it's, it's given to someone who holds an important position as a Roman official or a member of the governing class. So it's likely that Luke is writing, as an educated man, as a medical doctor, to an educated man who has heard the message of Jesus. And Luke is taking on the challenge of, of building an apologetic uh, uh, to confirm with proofs that the person of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the message of Jesus that has been heard is trustworthy and true. Luke is lending his credibility, so to speak. Like, it, as if to say, Theophilus, I, I'm a doctor. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a crazy person. I'm educated. I'm thoughtful. I'm smart. And I've come to believe the truth about the message of Jesus. Will you listen to me while I lay out what I've heard and that I think is trustworthy and true? So Luke's gospel is undeniably an apologetic. It's a defense of who Jesus is, that he is who he said he is. And it's an evangelistic endeavor to to say to anyone who would listen, to anyone who would read this, All that you've heard about Jesus, the things he claimed about himself, the miracles he did, and the message he gave, all of that's true. Every word of it. Jesus is the one who can meet our deepest longings and needs. So this is the framework, if you will, for the Gospel of Luke. In our weekly update that'll go out tomorrow, um, I'll include some other resources on Luke if you'd like to dig it a little bit more just to the context of Luke, but that's where we'll leave it here. Now, through Advent, we work through the birth narratives of John the Baptist and Jesus. How the angel Gabriel came to their mothers and said, you're going to have a son. And how they paralleled one another. And that for all the greatness that was John, the coming of Jesus was that much greater. And then the birth of John and how miraculous and, and cool that was. And then the birth of Jesus and how it's so much greater. And now we're going to continue in Luke chapter 2. And primarily the response of two people. There's a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna. And they both encountered Jesus. And the big idea here today is that when they encountered Jesus, they were ready. When Jesus shows up in their world, they know. They know that he is the one. He's the one they've been waiting for. And this helps us as we start this journey in Luke's gospel. Because I think if we approach Luke's gospel or any text any time in God's Word, but partic- particularly here, if we're, if we're looking in Luke's Gospel for, for tips to make our daily lives a little less stressful, or we're, we're just mining it for parables that we can pull life lessons from, or we're only looking for nice things that Jesus has said that we can then like quote on Instagram with a nice fuzzy background to prove that we too are nice. See, I don't fear that we'll actually find these things. Luke's Gospel... Uh, records more parables than any of the other Gospels. There's a lot of teaching from Jesus and Luke that is both practical as much as it is spiritually deep and true. But my fear is that, not that we won't find those things, but that we will only find those things. You follow me? 
Ask the wrong questions, get the wrong answers. Aim at the wrong bullseye, hit the wrong target. See, if we come in looking um, to find nice sayings and practical solutions, the danger is not that we won't find them. The danger is that that's all we'll find. But if we come to Luke's gospel looking to find our Savior, the one who will demolish all that was and rebuild now for himself something new, if we look to to hear from him, then I think we will see Jesus. We'll hear afresh the message of grace and how radical it is. And if we allow it, it will transform how we see ourselves. And I think if we allow it, it'll transform how we see our neighbors and how we see the people who live and work around us who maybe are a little invisible to us most of the time. It'll affect how we see our own mission. Because Simeon and Anna have been waiting, and when Jesus arrives, they're ready. So my question for myself and for us as we enter the text today, are we ready for Jesus' ministry and message to radically reorder our lives? Are we ready? Are we willing to, when we hear what Jesus is saying and doing, to let it actually change our priorities? Look at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. That's where we'll start. In 21 through 40, Luke is detailing the story of Mary and Joseph being faithful to the Old Testament law, circumcising Jesus on the eighth day, giving him his name, given by the angel to Mary. And then 33 days later, approximately, they would come to the temple to both dedicate their son and bring a burnt offering to the Lord. Now, I don't know if your Bible has a footnote in it, but if it does, right there, in verse 22, when the time for their purification, according to the law, came, uh, that footnote will likely take you to Leviticus chapter 12. And what happens in Leviticus chapter 12, it says that the requirement for this offering that they were supposed to bring was a lamb for a burnt offering and then a pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. Or if they were poor, if you go a little further down in Leviticus 12, they could bring just two birds. If they couldn't afford a lamb, they could bring uh, two doves or two pigeons. Now Luke doesn't record the visit of the wise men, part of the the, uh, Advent or Christmas story. Uh, But from this passage, we can assume that at least at this point in the story, they have not yet visited Mary and Joseph. Because if they had, the gifts they would have brought would have made Mary and Joseph, particularly from their poor state, much wealthier. They could have afforded a lamb. And yet here they're bringing the, the, the offering of what the poor would bring, which is just two birds. So they likely had not yet received the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh that would have come. They would have been of considerable value. But Luke tells us they offer a pair of birds in accordance with the law. And so right here, verses 21 through 24, this little first section, Luke is telling us that Jesus, even in his infancy, is righteous according to the law. See, Romans 8 tells us that Christ was righteous and perfect according to the law so that through him we can now be righteous, right? He was perfect and then exchanged his perfection for our imperfection. So in him, we are now righteous. We are now made perfect. And so Jesus was perfect according to the law. Right here, just over a month old, Luke is setting the stage for what righteousness is going to look like. Not just the Lamb of God who would die to save sinners, but also to make clean those who are unclean, to make perfect those who are broken. Right here at the beginning, Jesus is 
being put forward as someone who is righteous, even according to the law of Moses. Let's keep reading. Verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. We know very, very little about Simeon. In fact, what we read here is what we know about Simeon. This is the only time he's mentioned in the Bible. We know that he was righteous and devout, and we know that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And the words here tell us that the Spirit wasn't just on him temporarily. Like the Spirit just kind of plopped on him and then went away again. The word here actually gives connotation to continually. Simeon was a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was waiting for what Luke says is the consolation of Israel. This idea, the consolation of Israel, the It means the salvation of Israel. Consolation is help, comfort, aid. So it seems that Simeon's primary focus, his main goal in life, his one prayer was for God's help. That God would fulfill his promise and save his people. That's it. And somehow by the Spirit, he was assured that he would not die until his own eyes had seen the Lord's anointed one. And as the Spirit of God led Simeon into the temple, he found Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and it says he took Jesus in his arms and blessed God. If you're a parent in the room, just think about for a second, you're going to church, random guy takes your baby. But that's what happened here. Just saying, put yourself in those shoes. But he blesses God, praises the Lord, and then he says, now your servant can depart in peace. Literally, I can die now. I have fulfilled my purpose. I've seen it all. I'm good. See you later. That's what he's saying. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Simeon was setting the stage for the purpose and work of Jesus. Jesus was going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles, meaning that his purpose was, was to bring redemption that would finally expand beyond just Israel, right? Jesus was going to be a light to the Gentiles. That's us. He would be, that would be available for all people. And it would be glory for God's people. That through them, the, the promise of God to Abraham, that I will make you the father of many nations, would be fulfilled in Jesus. A beacon of salvation to the whole world. And it's not that Mary and Joseph hadn't already heard these things, right? They'd already been visited by shepherds and angels. They had heard these things of the people telling of the the glory of God and how they were blessing God for the salvation that was to come through their son. And it says that they marveled at what Simeon said. And in verse 33, Simeon turns to Mary and says that, Excuse me, verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon adds to this glorious declaration a very sobering one. Specifically, he looks to Mary and says, Yes, Jesus will come to bring salvation. 
And he will come to expose the hearts of many who are opposed to God. For some, Jesus will be a beacon of light, and for some, a stumbling block, and they will trip over him in their rejection. And then he tells Mary of the grief she will experience as Jesus bears the weight of rejection and opposition and ultimately is crucified. Jesus does come to save and he comes to expose hearts for the fall of some and the rising of others. And Simeon is ready for Jesus. He's ready. And he's not the only one. Look at verse 36. Luke introduces another person to the narrative that we know almost nothing about and never hear from again. A woman named Anna. A prophetess, Luke says. Now she was advanced in years, Luke tells us, which is the nice way of saying She was old. And Luke says she'd only been married seven years, and her husband died, and she's been a widow ever since. And the ESV says she was 84. Some translations say that she was a widow 84 years, which would put her into her late 90s. Either way, she's either 84. She's somewhere between 84 and... What's 93? What's 8? I don't know the math. The point is... 7, 4... Okay, the point is... She's old and has been lonely a long time, right? And, and Luke tells us that she's faithful and devout. She probably lives either on or near the temple grounds so that she never misses worship. She, she's there all the time, praising God in prayer and in fasting. And I think Luke calling her a prophetess is interesting. Remember, there had not been a prophet in Israel for 400 years. God had been silent. And here Luke says, this woman is serving in this way. And Luke writes this, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. And this was her prophetic uh, interaction. And to speak of him, of Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She praises God and then turns that praise around into proclamation. Now, being in the temple already, maybe she sees the family coming into her view as they come to dedicate Jesus. Maybe she she hears Simeon start blessing God and praising God from across the room. We don't know, but as Anna approaches, she begins to thank God and tells all who would listen that the Redeemer was here. And here we have that language again, the redemption of Jerusalem. It's similar to the consolation of Israel. What we have here are two faithful and devout worshipers of God who have been praying and waiting for God to reveal his salvation. And when Jesus arrives, they can identify this. This is the one. We've been waiting for him. And they bless God for answering their prayers. And then they disappear. and We never hear from either one of them in the, in the scripture texts again. You see, they were waiting for the right things. So when he arrives on the scene, they're ready and they received what God had for them. The question I asked at the beginning remains the same. Are we ready for Jesus' ministry and message to radically reorder our lives? And perhaps the next question or the deeper question is, how do we prepare ourselves to receive what God has for us? As we come to his word, as we come into the gospel of Luke together, As Jesus comes into our view, 
As we read account after account of Jesus as a boy in the temple, or we hear Jesus call a handful of unlikely fishermen and tax collectors to follow him, or as we see him respond with compassion on the sick and the broken, as we hear him preach about the importance of living life in the kingdom as opposed to living life for our own temporary kingdoms? Are we ready to receive Jesus for who he is? Are we ready to hear what he has to teach us? Or are we already preparing in ourselves the filter um, that we can then uh, filter Jesus' message through our own levels of self-importance and self-preservation? Because we always tend to hear what we want to hear. Don't we? I mean, we're, we're really good at that. We are experts at hearing what we want to hear. It is clearly seen in our political discourse of the day, isn't it? Two opposite news organizations on opposing sides of the political aisle can take the same press release and one side can say, this is wonderful. And the other side can say, this is devastating. Based on the same, you know, 50-word press release. See, we do this naturally. We bring our own bias and filters to everything. And we do that with the scriptures as well. Part of it is just recognizing that we do it. And we don't know this for sure, and I want to be careful not to create something from the white spaces uh, on the pages of our Bibles, but it's likely there were other people in the temple at the time. Just going out on a limb, busy day at the temple, probably some people there. What did they think? If anyone was a regular, they knew who Anna was for sure, and probably Simeon, because he doesn't seem like a stranger to the temple. They heard this outburst from across the room and interrupted their own prayer time. Are they thinking like, well, weirdos are out today. I don't want to hear that. Are they intrigued? What is Anna talking about that, that this redemption has now come? Do, do I want to go listen? I mean, what about the priest? We don't even know anything about that guy. Who was, meant to, who was there overseeing the dedication of Jesus and the, the sacrifices given by the family. What did, what did he think? The reality is we don't know. But so many people, and we'll see this as we work through Luke, so many people missed Jesus because they weren't looking for him. They were looking for something else. They wanted a king, and he came as a servant, and so they missed him. They wanted power, and he came in weakness, and so they missed him. They wanted a revolution, and a national uprising. And he came to renovate their hearts instead. And they missed him. How do we prepare ourselves to receive what God has for us in Christ as we come to the word and specifically as we start to observe Jesus at work in the gospel of Luke? It starts with where we started. That we remember that Jesus' message was to seek and save the lost. And that includes us. We don't forget that. We don't move on from that. We don't graduate from the reality that we were once blind and now we see. It is absolutely foundational to our identity. That this is who we are. That that Christ came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save me. And so we sing the words of, Come behold the wondrous mystery with fresh passion. Come behold the wondrous mystery. Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners, that's me, hangs the lamb in victory. That his death was victory. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory. Grace without measure. 
love untold. That we see that fresh and we don't forget that. That Jesus' mission was to seek and save the lost and that includes us. And we remember that we are called to his mission. That there are many people who are lost, many who are hurting and helpless, who are in need of the kindness and compassion that comes from our hands as extensions of the kindness and compassion of Jesus. And they're in need of the message of hope that is only found in Him. Those are our hands. That is our message. Simeon said that Jesus had come as a light to the Gentiles. And light's purpose is to expel darkness. That's what it does. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus says, Nobody lights a lamp and covers it with a jar. Or puts it under a bed. No, why, why do you light a lamp? You, you light a lamp and you set it in the middle of the room so that it lights up the whole room. Maybe you remember this from when you were a kid. This little light of mine. See, I, I got the first service to do that too and then they were all embarrassed. So thanks for being embarrassed. Right? What is the purpose of light? To expel darkness. Hide it under a bushel. No. Right? I never knew what a bushel was. And to this day, I'm still afraid to ask. Don't, but don't put it under a jar, or put it in a bed, or lock it in the broom closet. Christ has come to save us and to set us as lights in dark places. He himself is our light. So I think this is how we orient our hearts to be ready. We don't get away from the reality that we have been rescued by our kind and gracious Savior. And as we see Him responding with compassion and mercy to the lost and the helpless and the hurting, that we don't go like, God, poor them. No, we see our part now in joining Jesus with compassion and kindness and mercy to those who are hurting and in need because He has shown us such great mercy. He desires to make Himself known through us through those whom he has saved. This is the Jesus we find in Luke. And this is why I'm excited to hear from him and let him reshape our hearts as we study Luke's gospel together here on Sunday mornings and in our community groups. May the Spirit of God continue to make us ready to receive what God has for us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that at the right time you sent Jesus Not that we would fix ourselves up and get ourselves together and then come to you, but when we were enemies and far from you, you came to die for the ungodly and to redeem a wayward people. Thank you for the beauty of grace that is so undeserved. Would you awe us a little today, this morning, Holy Spirit, to see again the the massive gift of grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. That as we take the bread and the cup and we recognize what it means that Christ died for us, that it would stir fresh gratitude and confession and joy in our hearts that you our King would die for us. And because we see how great a mercy you've shown us, that we would then 
be shaped and formed to be more merciful, to be ones who are now enabled to extend that as agents of mercy. Would you encourage our hearts as we come to the communion table? Would you encourage our our mouths to sing true things about you and help us to believe these things that we confess in song and in prayer? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.